Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Later in the program, I talk with Christine Ma, a Chinese-American born in Shanghai who escaped from the mainland in 1949, went to school here and then departed with her family for the United States. She's been living back in Hong Kong since 1982. Christine has put a booklet together with friends and relatives around the world about their reactions to lockdown as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's Christine Ma later in the programme. But first, I join American-Australian artist Eric Niebuhr for a tour of his most recent exhibition, Twisted and Tangled. Eric gathers his inspiration from everyday scenes across Hong Kong streets, and this series references trolley pushcarts used for transporting goods and rubbish on the streets of Hong Kong. I joined Eric at the gallery Art Supermarket at 5 Staunton Street in Central to take a look at his solo exhibition. Well, when I start, it's normally triggered by something I encounter in the real world. So if I, for example, this, this exhibition that I'm working on at the moment, it's inspired by things that I've seen in Hong Kong, um, these specifically these trolley carts that you can see on the streets. And so normally once I have an image in mind, then I take that and then sort of play around with it and use it as a study and then transform that study into a watercolor piece and then from the watercolor becomes a larger scale painting so uh, in terms of the time and length it's all determined on how complicated the piece may be and actually how many pourings I need to do for the sort of physical aspect of the painting. So you actually pour and what do you use for that? So for the pouring, I use a combination of different acrylic paint mediums, and one is very heavy-bodied, one is very thin, and I like to say that it's almost like the consistency of pancake batter. So <laughs> Pancake batter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like pouring. If you've ever made pancakes, you know, you can kind of direct the form and the shape, but um, I'm a little bit thicker than pancake batter, so I can kind of control the shape when I'm pouring. So this time you were, when you say you get inspired or you, you get curious about various aspects of Hong Kong. So within this exhibition, what are those elements? So for this particular exhibition, I'm focused on these the backs of these trolley push carts that everyone sees every day. And, and a lot of times they're very, you know, just common carts. But what, what was interesting is the arrangement of these materials that people use very improvisationally, like whatever material that may be around them in that neighborhood, wire, twine, rope, bungee cords, ribbon. And, the, and oftentimes what happens is with the material, they may have a pattern or a certain texture. And then it's really that chance combination of all these elements together for me, that becomes interesting. And it's like looking at the back of the cart, for me, is almost looking like an abstract painting. And sometimes it has an emotive aspect, sometimes it's suggestive, sometimes it's just about the color relationship or the texture relationship. But I look for all these elements first before I decide if I'm going to choose that, that image. But I like that it comes from you know something that we just encounter every day, but we don't always notice. Oh yeah, trolleys, my goodness, they're absolutely ubiquitous everywhere. So you, yes, you, so we, we see this in your poured acrylic that uh, you've got these various inspirations going on, so from the trolleys. And then uh, what do you do? You actually say, right, I take a photograph, or is it your remembered image? 
So first, yeah, so it's, it's just with my phone. So it's just what's good about, you know, working from photographs, especially nowadays. You can just have it, you know, have your phone with you all the time. A lot of times it's by chance, and I'm just walking, and I just have a, to the corner of my eye, I see some kind of spark of color or some kind of, uh, oh, but I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm constantly, since I was working on this, this project, my, mom, my eyes are always looking at the cards, you know. I'm trying to find that one that just has a, just, has those elements that I'm looking for. And then sometimes I'll purposely go out and just almost like hunting. I'm like, or, you know, like fishing expeditions, you know, searching for that, that one piece that's going to really kind of, you know, touch me or have a, an emotive quality to it. What districts are great for trolleys then? I mean, every, uh, every district is really has its own character almost. Like, uh, Shamshu Po has uh, a lot of really interesting arrangements. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, Mong Kok has, uh, more wiry things that are happening. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so I think it might have to do with whatever they're selling, you know, the hawkers or whatever people are using the cards for because it goes, th- runs the gamut from, you know, People just using them for, you know, carting their materials around or, you know, taking rubbish around. But it's, it runs the gamut from uh, people that are using it. <laughs> so with the paintings, I mean, you've got, as you say, these elements of twine, of bungee or... But um, when they're on the trolley, are they used to... to uh, are they just used to tie goods up or are they actually used to fix the trolley? So on the backs of the trolley, um, the main point that I've gathered is that they're, they're, they're essentially used there so the material, whatever's being pushed on the trolley won't fall out. So it's almost like a net, and it, it sort of captures that. And sometimes I notice they'll use the twine as well to tie whatever's on the cart. And uh, yeah, so that kind of leads up to also, so the function of it also for me leads into the formal aspect because it becomes like these arrangements, almost like this web-like or net arrangement. I want it to be almost uh, literally and figuratively. So the idea of like a net or a web is almost capturing something. And then when I bring it into the language of painting, I want to capture almost the viewer into that almost that same kind of twisting and uh, tangling arrangement of, uh, of, of the piece. Also, your, your pieces are remarkably 3D. Yeah, I want that presence, that physical presence of the paint, which you, you, know, you obviously can't get digitally or looking at a, a, a two-dimensional image on reproduction. But in person, I really want that painting experience for me, bringing it into the language of painting, having these different layers of textures so that it, so the viewer can kind of bring a, a different experience to it. How do you control the pour? So I use a few different tools. I have a, a palette knife, and then I have a, a little brush that has a vinyl nib, and then I, I work flat, like on a um, sort of an elevated surface, and this slowly kind of direct the paint uh, using either the palette knife or the, the little brush. And if it's very tiny uh, areas, I use the brush. If it's a large areas, I sometimes pour directly from a sort of a pot of paint that I mix up. So talk me through a couple of your works. So I saw this image on my bicycle. <laughs> I was uh, riding my bike, so I work in uh, the New Territories, and I teach, and so there's a route that I take that's a bicycle route, and it goes from my school to my studio, and it's, it's nice because it often goes to an area where people, it's actually by a recycling area where I'll see people bringing their carts by every day. And so this one, I just, I, I don't know, there was the colors for me, the gesture, it was almost like a, 
Uh, like I was talking about the way that the fabric is falling, there was a real beauty to it. And it was almost like, I don't know, I just, I like the idea of it. It's hard to use language, but it's like a sense of falling or some sense of uh, languidness about it and, and, and that quality. And just the color combination was something that I wouldn't have come up on my own. And so that's one of the fun thing about it is like using this, like I mentioned, the chance arrangement that wouldn't have happened if I, you know, just try to invent that color by myself. Now, when you have, um, you know, you've taken a photograph with your phone um, uh, when you've passed a trolley, whether you're on your bike or wherever it is, or maybe passing a wet market, um, how do you decide uh, what size of painting, how you're going to reproduce that, how you're going to display that? Well, when it started out, the first piece that I did, I pretty much kept to a, almost the size of the card itself. And, you know, sometimes you think about different reasons to do certain sizes, but a lot of it's about curiosities. The first piece that you do, you want to, sometimes you do smaller studies, sometimes you do larger pieces, but I kind of just, conceptually, I thought it might work, you know, the same experience that I had with uh, the framing of the backs of those trolleys is almost like the framing uh, it's already in a, you know, it's already in a rectangle, and so now just translate to the rectangle of a, of a picture surface in the painting. And each one is, as you say, so remarkably different from from the next. And uh, yeah, I love the sort of, as you say, the hanging uh, effect. And some of it feels really suspended. Yeah, the idea of suspension, uh, and you know, some are more tightly wound, and so you get a little different tension there, visual tension. Some are, there's more space around others, which is sort of like an opening where you almost like a a breath. Yeah, so it really takes different kind of physical manifestations. And then even as you spend time with it, I feel like they they change, you know, they almost morph into different sort of relationships and you start noticing things that you didn't notice before. I'm with artist Eric Niebuhr. We're looking at his exhibition, Twisted and Tangled, which you can see here at Art Supermarket, which is at 5 Staunton Street, so in Soho, and it's on the first floor. Due to COVID restrictions, um, viewing uh, Eric's work is by appointment. Yes, and uh, you can contact the director of the gallery, Michael Monzardo, and you can reach him at 9422-6120. You can book through WhatsApp, or you can also book through email, michael at artsupermarketasia.com. Now, in addition to, in your exhibition, Twisted and Tangled, in addition to those that have been inspired by the twine and, and uh, the ribbons, etc., on, on trolleys, you've also got some examples of other work that you've done, which is on buildings, dragon holes. Yeah, so that was from a previous uh, exhibition, and uh, it, it just, formally, it's a really different relationship. So these are really about these spaces that are opening up, whereas a... Uh, you know, the trolley carts are about this concentration of energy in the, in the center. The dragon holes are really about this opening up of space and all the energy and some of the concentration of the paint is around the edges, uh, almost framing the piece. And so these are inspired by these buildings in Hong Kong that people, some people know about or think about. It's those negative spaces that they have in buildings and there's maybe a feng shui element to it, uh, but the mythology is that the dragon can pass through the space, and I liked I liked the mythology behind it, and I just but also liked really how it framed the environment, and then whatever was happening atmospherically, the time of day, if there was like clouds behind it, if there was nature behind it, that would affect the color and just sort of the general atmosphere. And I liked the way that that already framed it again, just like the backs of the trolley carts framed 
those pieces, the framing of the building already activated it and brought it, brought it into the language of painting for me. So that's dragon holes and trolleys providing the inspiration here at Twisted and Tangled Exhibition by artist Eric Niebuhr. Now, what's your next project? <laughs> yeah, that's always the big question. In terms of subject matter, hmm, I'm not sure if I want to reveal that, but I have been looking, I'll say I have been looking at from windows people's laundry hanging out to dry. <laughs> but I have no idea if I'll use that as inspiration. But I have a few, I think my next exhibition, I actually have a variety of different things that I've experienced, whereas the last two are very focused on uh, the next one meant to be broader, I believe. But all inspired by Hong Kong. I do believe that because this is the first place I've lived where I've been totally inspired by my environment. So I would like to continue with that. Artist Eric Niebuhr talking there about the beauty he discovered in the arrangement of bungee cords, ribbons, fabrics and ropes tangled on a Hong Kong trolley cart. When one is walking through the streets of Hong Kong, he says, these trolley carts are the threads and needles that knit the city together. If you'd like to have a look at Eric's solo exhibition, Twisted and Tangled, Eric will be having two Meet the Artist sessions over the next week, one on Thursday and one on next Saturday from 2pm until 6pm. You can also contact the art supermarket gallery owner, Michael Monsado, to view the paintings by appointment. Art Supermarket is on the first floor at 5 Staunton Street. You can email Michael on michael at artsupermarketasia.com. That's michael at artsupermarketasia.com. Or WhatsApp or call him on 9422-6120. 9422-6120. That's the exhibition Twisted and Tangled. And you can also see those details on the Hong Kong Heritage Facebook page. Now on to my second interview in this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I joined Christine Ma to hear about how she left Shanghai at the time of the Communist Revolution and would later spend her early years in Hong Kong before heading to the United States. She's been living back in Hong Kong since 1982. Christine recently put a booklet together Life in the Time of Coronavirus, with anecdotes, illustrations and thoughts of friends and relatives experiencing lockdown around the world. I've been in Hong Kong since 1982. This is my second stint. We came to Hong Kong with my parents in 1949, right before Shanghai fell. And we stayed until 1957. And my father at that time, we were stateless, had no passport, no nothing. So you came from mainland China? From Shanghai. We came to Hong Kong. My father decided, I'm his only daughter, only child. He says, this child has to have A status. You can't float around in life having nothing, no passport, no ID, no nothing. So we went to the United States, and that's where we stayed until 1973, where I got married, went to school, got married, and then we were posted to Japan. Those were wonderful years. Oh, they were so much fun. So when you say you got posted to Japan, doing what? Oh, my husband and I, he was with AMF, the bowling people, and he was there to do business, and we went to Japan. I taught school, and the experience is fantastic. In fact, some of the students that I taught now have become my friends. They write to me about their children. <laughs> it is like one giant happy family. May I ask, what year were you born in then? 
1944. Okay, so you can remember leaving Shanghai. Oh yes, when we knew that Shanghai was going to be taken over, liberated, as they say, the family was enormously rich, high status. You know, the whole typical Shanghai family. The brothers, my father's number seven of twelve brothers and sisters,、wow. and. None of the brothers wanted to leave because they owned this, that. They had high position, so my mother said, "Oh well, we're not leaving." You know, so so she didn't make any preparations to leave. And besides, even if they had left, they would think, "Oh, it was just a temporary thing." In、uh, when this is all over, we'll come back and resume our life. So my mother didn't prepare, and the week before we left, all the cousins and I had. Dozens of them <laughs> came down with measles, except me. So we left, and then so we stayed in Hong Kong. We lived in Granville Circuit at that time. It was considered Shanghai Town. All the Shanghainese lived there. And、uh, where was that in Hong in, Kong? In Tsinghuatui. It's still there. With number nine Granville Circuit, fourth floor. <laughs> and you know, I went to school, St. Mary's Canossian Convent on、uh, Chatham Road. Right, went there until fifty-seven. Fifty-seven, we left for the United States because my father wanted a status. Yeah,、um, I can appreciate that. So you were stateless here. We were stateless. We could. I didn't even have a birth certificate. So the result was, we went to the states. Five years later, we became citizens. So now we have a status. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Now, what happened to the rest of your family? So some、oh. stayed. Difficult times. Really bad times. My cousins, my age, okay, they were the wrong class, wrong industry, wrong education. Just everything's wrong with them. So they were assigned careers. My cousin, who was born one week ahead of me, was asked to be a piano teacher. Well, you had no choice. You became a piano teacher, and he was. Quite talented, so he became a very good.、Player. Another cousin, also my age, was sent to Xinjiang. I mean, nobody goes to Xinjiang, right? I mean, in 1966, <laughs> so she went there. She managed to do, to, to have a life. And when the time came, time came for her to come back. She didn't want to come back. So what was she sent to Xinjiang for? Just to live? Labor. Yeah, labor. labor. Right. What farm or? Um, I don't remember what, not farm, but certainly you know Xinjiang. And in 1986, I went to Xinjiang for a visit, and I was amazed how many Shanghai people were there. They were all the descendants of these people who were sent. Yes, no, it's interesting also to see how your family, because it was divided by historic circumstances, how you all end up living in far-flung parts of the world sometimes. Oh. Absolutely. In, in 2019, I was in the U.S. Oh, 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 by the 80s, when China loosened up, all the cousins came out. They were all in the United States. So 2019, the cousin、uh, Henry, who was born a week ahead of me, he organized a reunion of the cousins. I mean, this is what 49, 59, 69, 70, 89, 90, 92, or that. Seventy years later, we all got together. At a Chinese restaurant in New Jersey. <laughs> that must have been quite a meeting. At that reunion, we really didn't have much to say to each other, because our lives were like this way.、Um, and I met cousins 
whom I uh, was the first meeting because they were born after I left. But they're all doing well. One is a, a computer engineer. One is the piano teacher. They're all doing well. I mean, you know, they had no career in this in China. But once they came out, they all made a career for themselves. So you were living in the U.S. and then you yeah. returned to Hong Kong in 1982. Yeah, from 57 until 73, I went to school, got married, had children, and in 73 we were posted to Japan came back in 77, went back to Maryland. And then in uh, 82, we came to Hong Kong. Now in terms of identity, you, you come from Shanghai, you go to America, you spend time in Japan, and you've, I mean, 82, you've been here nearly 40 years. Yeah. Uh, what do you see yourself as? American, a Chinese American. Mm -hmm. Chinese being the top. Mm -hmm. Although people, the, the real authentic Chinese, I call them, don't consider me all that authentic. I'm sort of like, <laughs> but we were, I was raised in a Chinese family. So the foundation is there. You know, many of the Chinese cultural values, respect, education, hardworking, they're still there. Speaking wise, I'm not all that fluent. Uh, literature wise, I'm not fluent at all. But the attitude towards life and one's responsibility is all there. Now, over the years, you sometimes issue these private booklets. So you've written one about when you left Shanghai um, and others throughout your time in Japan. You've written one recently, or you've put together one recently, which involves friends, families. It's a real international book. And it's called Life in the Time of Coronavirus, a take-off of uh, Garcia Marquez love in the time of cholera. The themes are like completely opposite, but I just love the title. I think it's so wonderful, you know. So I said, well, I hope he doesn't mind, but I'm going to borrow the, the, the syntax anyway. <laughs> so 2020, life in the time of coronavirus. So Christine Ma, you asked some of your friends, both in Hong Kong, your family, and people that you know around the world. So yes. there's entries from Brazil, the United States. Yes. Where yes. else? There's Brazil, there's Canada, there's Chile, there's France, India, Hong Kong, of course, Taiwan, Japan. You've got about 50 people represented here. Some, right. some have done extra entries, um, but so from all around the world. Now, some of them are quite lighthearted, others are very serious. But yes. the idea was to give an experience of being right, in lockdown right, in right, these right. respective countries. What did you do? Um, as I say in the introduction, I just wanted to do a snapshot of a place at a time that we hope will never come again. How ordinary people went through extraordinary times with humor, with anger, with sarcasm, with you name it, the whole gamut of human emotions, all during this lockdown period. You're a history major. What, what appealed to you about that? You know, people's emotions, people's yes. experiences. So did you look back at history at, at some of the other times when we've had yes. pandemics? Yes. Being history major, I look at the pandemics that happened hundreds of years ago, like the Black Death. We have historians writing about how the Black Death was caused by rats in sanitary conditions. Blah, blah, blah. We all know the reasons. But we never, I, I couldn't remember a single article saying, well, what did the people feel as they see their loved ones dying and they lived in miserable conditions? What was it like? 
I'd love to see one. Of course, at times people were not so literate and they didn't write. Times were different, but it's always interested me how people dealt with times of stress. And that isn't just Black Death. It's revolutions. It's、um, wars. Whatever. 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 I wanted to see what the people felt. So, give me a, a few examples from your booklet, 2020: Life in the Time of Coronavirus. Well, I have a friend who was locked up in Paris, and she cooked. She sent me pictures of twelve of her culinary masterpieces, and then there is some that said, you know, it's very、uh, locked down. It's kind of boring. But when you think of the people who died, it's really very shocking. I mean, it, it really hits you. Kind of thing, and then、uh, one from my grandson, who was graduating this year. And where is he? he? Well, he's in Los Angeles. We graduated from Berkeley, and he said it was very poignant. It really made me sort of feel. He said we all thought he was a senior, that it, this would be a temporary thing, that everything would be over and life would be back to normal. And he says, but looking back, I regret that. My last day of classes will never come again.、Uh, he was class of 2020. They were all looking forward to partying at the graduation,、mm-hmm. the ceremony, walking across, receiving.、Yeah. A, I mean, it's meaningful for them. And he says, now looking back, I should have savored that last day of class because we didn't know it won't come again. I'll read you. This is my grandson, of course. Our <laughs> <laughs> grandma. While I realize this is a small loss compared to what has been experienced by millions during this pandemic, that does not lessen the disappointment felt by myself and the rest of the class of 2020. While many of us are now thriving in the working world, we will forever rue what our last semester could have been, should have been. This is an entry from a friend, Bill, in the United States. Where he tells about how he's been getting through the coronavirus lockdown. During this time, we spent a lot of effort in spring cleaning, got rid of a lot of stuff that we don't need. This is work which needed to be done, but is also kind of fun, because we find a lot of things we have that haven't been used for a long time. What I miss, though, is the freedom to go to a restaurant, to eat whatever one desires, and go wherever one wants, to socialise with friends and visit each other. Teleconferencing is nice, but not the same. We miss being with family, to have meals with them, and to see the grandkids grow. All the schools are still closed. I miss eating stinky tofu. So there's a mix of illustrations, both poignant anecdotes and 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 people writing, also some jokes in there, or、yeah. some more, as you say, some more levity about life in lockdown.、Right. Tell me about some of your Hong Kong entries. Well, there's a, my friend who makes bread with beer, one who made a quarantini cocktail with <laughs> angostura. So、um, it's a quarantini cocktail. How do you make one of those? So it's in a nice、uh, martini he, glass. A dash of angostura bitters. Gin, splash of water or ice cube, garnish with large pimento stuffed olives. Nice. And then there's、uh, a friend who's sent pictures of Chaklakong Airport. The planes are all lined up. My daughter works in Hong Kong, and now she does everything on Zoom. She says it's a whole different because you don't see the body language, and you're not able to physically touch people, which conveys things even in a business setting. 
This is me. It's a sarcastic piece. My ordinary day, I'm finding excitement in ordinary, like in the morning, instead of tea, I'm having coffee. Ooh, you know. <laughs> no, but you do. You do. You're more, you're more aware of things. Like yeah. That, yeah. And then instead of the jam, instead of blueberry, I'm having mango. Wow, this is something. You know. It's it's a bit of a sarcasm about how really bored you are. You're taking pleasure in these stupid things. But it's good fun too. I mean, I think I do think that people have become more observant of right. their immediate environment. And, and uh, there's a bit in there, but I need to mail a letter. There's a post box right in the next building. But no, I go all the way down to the general post just for a change of pace. Yeah. <laughs> My thanks to Christine Ma talking there about her booklet, Life in the Time of Coronavirus. If you're interested in knowing more about Christine's project with her friends and relatives, then please email me at hkhradio3 at gmail.com. That's hkhradio3 at gmail.com. And I can put you in touch with Christine. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.